Amen. Good morning. I want to invite you to turn to your Bi- uh, take your Bible to the Old Testament. Uh, today, we are, you can go ahead and be trying to find the book of Numbers. For the next three weeks, we're going to, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, we're going to look at Christmas through three perspectives, three points of view, okay? We have been going on a journey through the book of Luke, and we're going to pause that and finish it up at, in 2019. That sounds funny, doesn't it? So uh, today we're looking at Christmas foretold, Christmas through the eyes of the Old Testament prophets. And our scripture reference is going to be generate, uh, Genesis all the way through Malachi. So we're going to start in Genesis 1-1 and go through every single verse all the way to Malachi. Just kidding. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take, uh, just quickly, we're only going to scratch the surface of it just to see really the theme of the entire Old Testament. Anybody know what that is? The coming king. So there you go. There's a, if you need a, 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 a focus, a, a theme today, it's the coming. Christmas is coming. Wake up. Get ready. It's coming, okay? Actually, it's already come, but we celebrate it. The, this year, we're actually going to celebrate it every day from here on out, right? And so today is Christmas through the eyes of the Old Testament prophets. So we'll look at Moses, because he's kind of the first part of the Old Testament. Then we'll look at Isaiah, which is kind of more in the middle part of the Old Testament. And then we will look at Micah, who is one of the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. So try to get a kind of a little bit of an overview of the Old Testament today. So let's start out with Moses, Numbers. I do want to share this quick story. Uh, back in the day, uh, Soren Kirkgaard, a great Danish theologian, shares a story about a, a young prince in search of a queen, okay? Mm-mm. He was looking for uh, his fair lady that would make a great queen, that would be a suitable queen, a, a perfect helpmate to him. And, and so he began to search. He looked everywhere, couldn't find one. So he, uh, one day, Every day, his carriage went by a certain way, and a fair maiden caught his eye. He thought she was beautiful. And he liked her. He liked how she walked and how she talked. and Not in a stalker way, but he just began to observe. And he asked people about her, and he learned about her. And, and he decided he wanted to pursue her, ask her out. But he was the prince. He was royalty. And the problem was she was just a mere peasant young lady. Dirt poor. So he devised a plan. He could not just go in there with his royal garb and his carriage drawn by six horses. He could do that, but he didn't want to have to force her to to like him. So what he did, he traded his crown in for peasant garb. Moved into the town where she lived. Worked a job, just like her parents worked. Began to identify with her people. Learned her struggles. And then over time, he won her heart. You see, that's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about the Lord God Almighty... King of kings coming to earth. Coming to live with us, to identify with us. 
He came to save us, not by his power, but by his love. Let's think about Moses. Moses, 1400 B.C., he, this time of year we see nativities everywhere, live nativities, dead nativities, whatever kind of nativities we have. And Moses, just like Jesus, he was placed in a basket. And he was sitting down the river. You guys remember the story, Bible scholars? Pharaoh's daughter found Moses and she adopted him. And the Lord worked it out where Moses' very own mother could raise her son, yet he was going to be raised up as a son in the royal lineage. So Moses grew up, the best schools in all of Egypt. Moses would have been trained to be a, an assassin. Okay, Egypt was the number one baddest country in the world at that time. You don't become number one because you do not know how to fight. And so Moses was trained to know how to kill people quickly. And so Moses, he, uh, at the age of 40, here's the short version, he gave up his life of luxury and his life of worshiping all these false gods with the people of Egypt and decided to go with his people, the Hebrew people, who worshiped the one true living God. So he traded all those things in. Moses married Zipporah. He had two sons. Zipporah, she was uh, a lady with dark skin. Her family was from Africa. And Moses, God called Moses to basically go tell Pharaoh to let his people go. One problem was Moses couldn't talk. So the one thing God asked Moses to do, he couldn't do. But God did that to show his power through Moses. So Moses was a runaway fugitive. Moses killed a man. You say, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, turn to Numbers 24. Numbers 24. Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Did you know that? Numbers 24. Now, Moses was a type of Christ. He was born to help lead his people out of slavery. That means he's a picture of Christ. Joseph was a picture of Christ. May remember the story of Joseph? Some people, yes, okay. Joseph was sold, basically sold for a price. He was sold into slavery. He suffered for crimes he did not commit. And he ended up saved his people. Not only his people, but many nations was they were able to have food during a famine. So Joseph was a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. Numbers 24, verse 17 Numbers 24, verse 17. I hope you have roller skates on this morning because we're going to try to go through a lot of different passages. Numbers 24, verse 17. It says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. You say, Pastor, what does that have to do with tea in China? Well, the star, the scepter, those terms are to illustrate the Lord's kingship, the coming Messiah. 
The Israelites were slaves. God sent Moses. We, all people, are slaves to sin. And God sent Jesus. So Moses knew that the Messiah would come into the world to be the king. He was the king coming to be the king, to make his ultimate rule final. Next, let's go to Isaiah. So moving along very rapido, rapido. Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter 7. Well, let me tell you about Isaiah. Isaiah's very name meant Yahweh is salvation. Isaiah lived in the 8th century, about 700s B.C. He was called to be a prophet during the king that Uzziah died. He saw his nation was in decline and in decay. He was married. His wife was nicknamed. The Bible actually tells us his wife was called the prophetess. I would assume that means she loved the Lord also and had a word from God. They had two sons. One name was Walker. The other was Texas Ranger. Just kidding. Just make sure you guys are awake. You say, well, who's Walker, Texas Ranger? Well, there's a famous ninja warrior cowboy, Chuck Norris, who plays his, this actor in the 90s. Well, Isaiah, he was like Archie Manning. He just got a bad gig. You say, who's Archie Manning? Well, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever lived. Could have been maybe one of the absolute best, but he got sent to the New Orleans Saints, which is a great thing nowadays. But there was a day where the bag went over the head. And so Archie Manning, even if you don't like football, the story of Archie Manning was is that he went to a team filled with bad management, filled without any other phenomenal players. He did not have an offensive line. And in football, if you don't have an offensive line, then your quarterback's in trouble, and then he can't throw the ball. And so Isaiah, I think, is like Archie Manning. He, the guy just, he landed a tough gig. He just, bless his heart, in fact, his nickname was the Suffering Servant. So Isaiah... He didn't have an offensive line to protect him. In fact, he died as a martyr. The Bible, or tradition tells us, that he was sawn in two with a wooden saw. Okay, so you think you're, maybe your December's not doing so well? Think about Isaiah. He was sawed in half with a wooden saw. Well, Isaiah tells us of a coming king. Look at Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7 verse 14. Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You say, isn't this hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came? Absolutely, that's the point. Prophesied that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born of a virgin. You say, that's impossible. Absolutely it is, but not for God. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, moving quickly. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. 
Do you see Christmas in the Old Testament yet? I hope so. Then Isaiah 64, we're not going to turn there, but basically you see Isaiah's heart. He was a suffering servant. I mean, they were going 0 and 12 every single year, and he was discouraged. And so in Isaiah 64, you see a glimpse. He says, oh, Lord, would you rend the heavens and come down? God, would you help the mountains quake and show these people that you are the king of kings? Isaiah was looking forward to Christmas. You see, the Lord, he's not just the king around Christmas time, boys and girls, men and women. He's not just the American king. He's not just the Chinese king or the African king. The Bible says that it's engraved on his side. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not a better king, but he's the perfect promised king without sin righteous he came he died on a cross for our sins he rose from the grave three days later even today if we repent which means turn away from our lifestyle this hell bent on following our own way and we repent of that say lord we want to follow your way and believe by faith in the lord and the messiah and the coming that christ came and the bible says we'll be saved then we have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And not only does he come to save us, but then he comes to rule and to reign in our life. Is he your king today, friend? I mean, really. You can have Christmas lights all over your house, but is he king inside of your heart? Does he rule your life? Does he rule and reign over your decisions, over your everyday, over your family? over your heart? Do you submit to his kingship? And then we have Micah. Oh, Micah. Micah had a bad gig also. Go ahead and you can turn to Micah chapter 5. Now, we know a lot about Moses. We know a lot about Isaiah. But we don't know a ton about Micah. You see, Micah is, I, I think he's kind of like the IRS, okay? We don't really know where, much about him, but we don't like him, okay? And, and so Micah, he had a bad rap because he, he basically was God's attorney who brought a lawsuit to God's people. Nobody liked Micah. In fact, if you saw Micah at Buffalo Wild Wings, you'd say, I'm not going to sit by that guy. I hate that guy. Let's poison his food. People hated him. They did not like him. Poor Micah. And so Micah, Micah was known for always bringing bad news. But it's because God cared about his people. He didn't want his people to stay miserable and in slavery and in sin. And so God sent a messenger. And so he calls out God's people. He says, look, you've done all these bad things. You've been trying to build Jerusalem through violence. You're detesting justice. You don't want to hear what's right. Uh, You're making God's ways crooked. You're taking bribes. You are uh, becoming filthy rich through ill-gotten gain. You've gotten involved in sorcery and witchcraft and all these crazy things. 
And God's not happy about it. And so you need to repent. And if you do not repent, there will be consequences. And then in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. By the way, Micah was looking for that same Messiah. Theme of the Old Testament. The Messiah is coming. Christmas is coming. They didn't call it Christmas, by the way. That's a more modern term. It means Chris, uh, Christ Mass. And we'll talk about that maybe another Sunday. But in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, let's read that together. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If you're with me, say jingle bells. Okay. If you listen, you'll hear them ringing. Just kidding. All right, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, the H is actually silent, but every time I see the H, you can't help but do the F. Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now, the praise team did not know I was going to talk about this. In the first Christmas carol they sang this morning was a little town of Bethlehem. Now, ain't that like God? Yes, it is. I had chills hearing this. You say, why was Micah so specific? Why this Bethlehem, Ephrathah? I can't even say it. Because there were two Bethlehems. There was one Bethlehem in the south of Israel, and the, there was another Bethlehem in the north. Now, t- today, both of those Bethlehems are still in existence. The one in the south is this, a, a pretty large city because of all the tourism. There's another Bethlehem near Galilee, and there's about 900 people that live in that little town. And rumor was a few years ago that that was actually the real Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Well, that was not true. That was a rumor started probably by the mayor to get some of that tourism revenue. But the Bethlehem here, I love the God's word. God knew specifically he wanted everybody to know the specific little town. And today Bethlehem was a, a, a busting city, but in the Bible times, Bethlehem was just an afterthought. Bethlehem was the place that, if you were from Bethlehem, you were made fun of. You're from where? Really? That place? Their school system stinks. They don't have any jobs there. They don't have a Target. They don't have a Chick-fil-A. They don't have any. What do those people eat? Bethlehem is a forgotten place. And I love Micah. Look at this. He says, Oh, Bethlehem. Who are too little. You're too little, Bethlehem, to be among the clans of Judah. You don't even get to be one of the central cities. You don't even get invited to the table, you folks from Bethlehem. Isaiah 11 talks about the root of Jesse. Well, Bethlehem, that word, Ephrathah, it means to bear fruit. So for the root of Jesse is a metaphor for the Messiah. 
So it was in Judah where David was born, which is another Christmas prophecy that he would be born from the line of David. This is the same Bethlehem. And just as David was the unlikely choice to be king of the Jews, Bethlehem was not the city. Like if they had a committee trying to decide, okay, where does we need to have this huge event, the largest event ever, they would not have picked Bethlehem. It was just a little town, which is why we just sang the song, Oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. Until you get to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, the angel shows up. Fire in his eyes. And he says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least. Bethlehem, though you are forgotten, God has not forgotten you. And you're not least. Because something big's about to happen. Somebody needs to hear that today. What matters is what God says we are, not what anybody else says. And then in Micah chapter 5, verse 3, it says that, or verse 2, that the Lord will be the ruler. Ruler. That word ruler means to obtain total dominion. You see, the little baby Jesus, he didn't just come to take sides or take names. He came to take over, to change everything. So the question today for us, for our lives, is he the king for us? Moses waited for Christmas. Isaiah yearned for Christmas. Micah yearned for Christmas. And all the prophets in between of the Old Testament. Do you yearn for Christmas? And if you have the Lord, and you're excited to celebrate this Christmas, what about all the millions of people who have not heard about this baby Jesus. All over Asia today, there's Christmas lights. Did you know that? There's even manger scenes. Santa Claus and Rudolph. Yet most people, the vast majority in the 1040 window, they don't have a relationship with the Lord. Who's going to tell them the meaning of Christmas? I hope that the Lord has encouraged you today through looking at these three prophets. We're about to have a time of response. And I want us to, before we start singing, if we can just play through a verse of just music. And I'd like us just today to prepare our hearts for Christmas. Can we do that together? Now, this is a difficult time for many people. And I want to encourage those people that really are not excited about Christmas because your circumstances are so messed up. I want to encourage you in this way. 
And I'm reminded about a lady I saw this week and tried to encourage her. And she told me there was no hope, basically. And I reminded her that Jesus loved her. So maybe that's you today. You say, there's no hope for me, Pastor. Friend, I'm going to tell you, there is all hope. Because if life is like a vapor, it's here today and gone tomorrow, then something else is coming. And if you have a relationship with this king, you get to taste the milkshakes in heaven. If you have a relationship with this king, you truly will be set free. And today, this, the problem with many of our lives is we're wrapped up in all this stuff and we're not free. You might have religion, you may have tradition even, but if you do not have a relationship with the Lord, there's going to be a gaping hole in your heart. You can grow up in the church and not know this God easily. You can grow up in the Baptist church, Methodist church, Catholic church, and not have a relationship with the Lord. So today, the Lord's here, and he wants you to have a relationship with him. So if that's you today, if you want to really have the best Christmas ever, if you never received Christ, you come today and you receive this king. And then if your heart's broken, think about this. The Messiah has come. And no matter your circumstances, he truly can forgive you of all your sin. And the Bible says that when you're saved, he gives you his helper so that you never have to do anything on your own ever, ever again. And that should encourage you, right? And on top of that, then God guarantees that he's with you forever, now and always. And that you're adopted, you're his child, and he, you're his. I, I was teaching my children this, just this weekend that they said, they keep saying their room. I said, you don't have a room. You didn't pay for a room. You don't have a room at this house. That's my room. But here's the secret. You really have more than one room. All these rooms are your room. Your rooms. You even have a swag minivan. That's yours too. You have everything that daddy has. Because you're mine. And today, if you're the Lord's, guess what? You don't just have America or your little house or just your suitcase. You may have nothing. But if you have the Lord, you got it all, friend. You got it all. You got stars that are being born every day because you're adopted into the kingdom. I wasn't going to share this story in the service because I didn't think we have time, but I'm going to share this quickly and bear with me. And then we'll have our invitation time. We're having a time of silence. Listen to the Lord. Lawrence Tuning. You never heard of him. I really hadn't heard of him until recently. 1992. 1992. He was a pastor. He had a rough year. Anybody ever had a rough year? Anybody been there? Had a tough year? 1992 was Pastor Lawrence's tough year. Lost his father. His wife had serious health issues. He was a burnout pastor. There were some problems in their church. His wife had just had their third miscarriage. And he goes to the hospital, and this 
third miscarriage happens and he goes to see the baby. And he holds the 13-week-old little boy in his hands. He said, Lord, this is the third time this happened. We, we prayed, God, that this wouldn't happen. And we believed. And Lord, it still happened. And God, I'm just tired. Tired of hoping and things not happening. So he was, this sent him into a dark spiritual depression, him and his wife. And so he stepped away from the pastorate and began to just uh, seek the Lord and, and just to go through a season of healing and go through all the stages of mourning. And he would go and play the piano every day. And then one day he was playing a song on the piano and he thought to himself, I've never heard this song before. And then he realized that he was writing, he was writing the song. He, he was writing the piano music and the words were just coming to him. And these are the words of this song titled, The Anchor Holds. He says, I have journeyed through the long, dark night out on the open seas. My faith alone, sight unknown, yet his eyes are watching me. The anchor holds. Though the ship is battered. The anchor holds. Though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas. The anchor holds in spite of the storm. This morning, the God of the mountain is also the God of the valley. The God of the day is still God of the night. O come, all ye faithful. O come and behold him. He's wonderful. He's marvelous. He's enough. He's the answer to your troubles today, friend. He's the hope for your tomorrow. Come. Let all heaven sing. Let all of nature sing. Come and receive Christ today. Let's prepare our hearts now for, to respond. I'm going to ask everybody to close your eyes and just focus on the Lord just for a few minutes.